I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, and this is the recap of the January 6th committee hearing from October 13th, 2022, day nine. We will break down for you the highlights from the January 6th committee hearing, which concluded with the committee voting nine to zero to subpoena Donald Trump. And at the same time, the hearing was taking place. There was other major breaking news. The Supreme Court denied Donald Trump's application to vacate the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals order in the Mar-a-Lago search case in a terse one-sentence decision, a big DOJ win, a big win for justice, a big L for Donald Trump. And this follows reports that a Trump employee is cooperating with the Department of Justice and told them that Trump ordered him, this employee, to move boxes from storage after Trump received that grand jury subpoena back in May. And the New York Attorney General, Tish James, filed a motion for preliminary injunction stating that Donald Trump is still engaging in fraud and other crimes after she filed her lawsuit back on September 21st. She asked that an independent monitor kind of like a special master be appointed to supervise his financial findings and ensure he doesn't transfer assets to other entities, such as a company he created called Trump Organization Number 2, which he created the same day as the New York Attorney General filed the lawsuit on September 21. And earlier this week, too, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Donald Trump was ordered by a federal judge out of the Southern District of New York to sit for a deposition next Wednesday, October 19th in the E. Gene Carroll defamation lawsuit. This is the Midas Touch podcast. Ben Micellis joined by Brett and Jordy Lott to discuss Brett initial reactions to today's events. What a day, what a day, what a day, a horrible day for Donald Trump, which means as usual, a great day for justice and a great day for democracy and the American people. You know, today, I always have an adrenaline rush during these hearings because we're producing them live. We got the cameras going. We we're you know, communicating with the Midas Mighty in the chat. We got hundreds of thousands of people watching. Um, but once I started watching today's hearing, I couldn't help but feel just incredible, honestly, just sadness just watching it. Uh, every time I'm reminded of what happened on that day on, on January 6th and the efforts to overthrow our democracy, but beyond that, the efforts to lie and gaslight and just hide the facts from the American people in order to protect the electoral chances of the Republican Party have just really disgusted me. And when you see just the clear facts laid out and you contrast them with the way the Republican Party has behaved in the months and years since the January 6th attack, it just makes me incredibly enraged, incredibly sad. Um, but I think the January 6th committee is doing such important work. I think they're doing a, a brilliant presentation. I think it was interesting that today was maybe the first hearing that didn't 
actually have any witnesses. We've, we've seen in the previous hearings that these hearings have had witnesses, mostly from uh, former Republicans or people in the Republican Party um, who have no reason. Live witnesses. Live witnesses. Yeah, they're in, in, uh, in the uh, hearing room. Today, the only hear a witness testimony was delivered via video. But what we did hear and what we did see was bombshells, just bombshell after bombshell after bombshell. And we'll get into it all, including the Pelosi clip, which I just thought was stunning. And, and I thought, honestly, what what a hero um, there Absolutely. culminating with the subpoena of Donald Trump. Jordy, what did you think? Yeah, well, I understand why you felt sad watching it, because I most certainly did as well. I mean, there was a lot of tough videos, a lot of tough testimony, you know, that, that we watched today, but I, I left feeling good. I left feeling empowered that, you know, the folks who are running this committee have done such a stand-up job. It's really just rejuvenated my faith in our government and our, our system of checks and balances. Like, I genuinely don't believe that Trump will get away with this. Like, there are so many folks out there the testimonies are everywhere. Everyone has seen them. They laid out the case so well. Ben, you know this being a lawyer, how you lay out the case. And it's just been incredible to watch all of this play out. They've done such a, I'm going to use a word that I used at the beginning of this, um, the hearings, flawless job executing this thing. And like I said, when I started this, they, it rejuvenated my faith in the system. And I'm excited to see what happens next. You have to be flawless when you deal with the relentless evil, the relentless gaslighting that is Donald Trump. And you combine that with the MAGA movement, these MAGA Republicans who have co-opted the Republican Party, who use their official levers to push lies every day and to radicalize Americans against other Americans. That's why Tim Ryan referred to the majority in a recent debate as the exhausted majority. Mm -hmm. Majority, to your point about rejuvenation, when I watch these January 6th hearings, it sends a message to that exhausted majority and says, wake up. It's time that we fight for our democracy. So let's get into the recap. The hearing begins with Benny Thompson announcing that this is a business meeting, a technicality that allows them to actually vote on further investigative actions with the major vote at the end, which of course is that they've determined to subpoena Donald Trump, so I won't bury that lead, as I said it from the uh, intro, but let's do this clip of Benny Thompson right now announcing the meeting commences. There's one more difference about today. Pursuant to the notice circulated prior to today's proceedings, we are convened today, not as a hearing, but as a formal committee business meeting, so that in addition to presenting evidence, we can potentially hold a committee vote on further investigative action based upon that evidence. We go from Benny Thompson to Liz Cheney discussing the central cause of January 6th was one man. Play the clip. The vast weight of evidence presented so far has shown us that the central cause of January 6th was one man, Donald Trump, whom many others followed. None of this would have happened without him. He was personally and substantially involved in all of it. 
Exactly how did one man cause all of this? Today, we will focus on President Trump's state of mind, his intent, his motivations, and how he spurred others to do his bidding, and how another January 6th could happen again if we do not take necessary action to prevent it. As you view our evidence today, I would suggest a focus on the following points. First, as you will see, President Trump had a premeditated plan to declare that the election was fraudulent and stolen before Election Day, before he knew the election results. He made his stolen election claims on election night against the advice of his campaign without any evidence in hand. Then, over the next two months, he sought to find those who would help him invent and spread lies about the widespread fraud. Many of those who stepped forward to help, including Rudy Giuliani, knew they never had real evidence sufficient to change the election results. And on the evening of January 5th, they admitted they were still trying to find that phantom evidence. Liz Cheney discusses how the committee received new witness testimony. Play the clip. As the chairman mentioned, we've received new and voluminous documentation from the Secret Service, which we continue to analyze. We've received new witness testimony, including about efforts to obstruct our investigation and conceal key facts. And the key thing that Liz Cheney points out in her opening remarks is that our nation cannot just punish the foot soldiers, but we must focus on who planned to overturn our election. Play the clip. But our nation cannot only punish the foot soldiers who stormed our capital. Those who planned to overturn our election and brought us to the point of violence must also be accountable. With every effort to excuse or justify the conduct of the former president, we chip away at the foundation of our republic. Indefensible conduct is defended. Inexcusable conduct is excused. Without accountability, it all becomes normal and it will recur. And I want to say, if you don't mind, I want, I want to talk about that setup right there, because I think it really sets the stage for these hearings, but not only for these hearings, but for what happens with the January 6th committee next in such a major, major, major way. To me, when I hear the words there of Benny Thompson, when I hear the words there of Representative Liz Cheney, to me, it is very clear. And you'll also see in statements that happen later in during these hearings that the January 6th committee upon issuance of their final report, I believe they will be issuing criminal referrals and Donald Trump will be one of those criminal referrals and obstruction is going to be a major, major charge listed in those criminal referrals. So I think that is what Liz Cheney is doing here in all this setup right now. The plan to deny the results of the 2020 election, uh, that plan was formulated even before the election took place. Representative Zoe Lofgren, who's one of the January 6th committee members, uh, discussed, for example, how a right-wing activist and president of the far-right group Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton, wrote a draft meadow for Trump to read on election day, declaring victory and urging ballots to stop being counted. Play the clip. The select committee got this pre-prepared statement from the National Archives. As you can see, the draft statement, which was sent on October 31st, declares, we had an election today and I won. 
and the Fitton memo specifically indicates a plan that only the votes counted by the election day deadline, and there is no election day deadline, would matter. Everyone knew that ballot counting would lawfully continue past election day, claiming that the counting on election uh, night must stop before millions of votes were counted was, as we now know, a key part of President Trump's uh, premeditated uh, plan. And that's a word that we're going to hear a lot tonight. That's a word that we heard throughout this entire January 6th committee hearing. Premeditated. Premeditated. What Donald Trump did was premeditated, regardless of the results of the election, which at the time, I think basically all polling had shown that Donald Trump was going to lose. And Donald Trump was pretty aware that he was facing headwinds after a disastrous year, after a disastrous few years, and the American people just absolutely hating the job that he was doing as president. That clip from October 31st, prior to the election, they are already preparing their speech to say that we won and the ballots coming into the mail do not count. Because, Brett, speaking of this premeditated plan, another video clip, this one of Steve Bannon at an October 31st meeting before a group of associates from China who invest in Bannon. It's always one of the ironic twists for them yeah, to yeah. always create these conspiracies. But they're the projection right there funders from China. And he tells this group of people, his funders from China, what Trump will do regardless of the outcome. Play the clip. And just a few days before the election, Steve Bannon, a former Trump chief White House strategist and outside advisor to President Trump, spoke to a group of his associates from China and said this. And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. The Democrats, more of our people vote early that count. Theirs voted mail. And so they're going to have a natural disadvantage, and Trump's going to take advantage of it. That's our strategy. He's going to declare himself a winner. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, it's going to be a firestorm. <laughs> also, also if, Trump is, if Trump is losing mm. by 10 or 11 o'clock at night, mm. it's going to be even crazier. <laughs> no, because he's going to sit right there and say they stole it. I'm, yeah. going to the, uh, Agree. I'm directing the attorney general. Mm. To shut down all ballot places in all 50 states, it's going to be no. He's not going out easy. If, Trump, if Biden's winning, Trump is going to do some crazy shit. As you know, Mr. Bannon refused to testify in our investigation. He's been convicted of criminal contempt of Congress, and he's awaiting sentencing. Yeah, despicable, despicable people. And speaking of despicable people, Roger Stone in November 2020, before the election, shared similar sentiments, and he was being recorded in a documentary that he was involved in. Play this clip. Right before the election, here's Roger Stone talking about what President Trump would do after the election. Let's just hope we're celebrating. Oh, I suspect it'll be, I really do suspect it will still be up in the air. But when that happens, the key thing to do is to claim victory. Possession is nine tenths of the law. No, we won. Fuck you. Sorry. Over. We won. Yeah. You're wrong. Fuck you. ABC. <laughs> I should fuck the Lord and let's get right to the violence. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's no fault. Try to start smashing pumpkins if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Sir. 
a clip like that just makes me so angry. The disdain that people like Roger Stone, that people like Steve Bannon, their hatred of our country and their arrogance, their desire to overthrow this great American experiment and just how these people are out of central casting as the bad guys in a movie, you know, literally you couldn't make it more of a character. And these people were just is real life. I mean, this is, this is real life people who are just trying to overthrow our democracy and install a dictator. And by the way, Roger Stone invoked his fifth amendment rights against self-incrimination, which I always say, look, everybody has a right to invoke your fifth amendment. Right. It's a constitutional right. But when you go out there and you're going on documentaries and you're out there on podcasts saying, I'm saying, fuck you, fuck you. And then you go and you actually have to testify under oath. And then you go, I plead the fifth. That's where I have a significant and serious mm -hmm. issue with that invocation. But Brett, what were you going to say? I just want to first emphasize what Roger Stone said for our audio listeners, just to make sure that it was clear. He said in that clip, he goes, I said, fuck the voting. Let's get right to the violence. That's a direct quote from Roger Stone. And I think one of the, you know, going to what you said about comic book movie villains, pleading the fifth, all that. The thing that really just pisses me off so much is that none of these people ever take any responsibility for their actions. And it's just more endless gaslighting and more lies and lies and lies. And when this footage from this documentary started to be revealed, what did Roger Stone do? Did he own up to it? Did he say, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, we were going to win. Yeah, yeah, that's that was me. No, he started acting like, I, I think the exact thing he said was that all this footage was actually fake footage. It's a big deep fake. And that it's is the what deep he said. state with the deep fakes trying to get him. Just take responsibility for your actions. And this is a theme that we're going to see yep. often tonight. Jordy. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say, like, you can't watch that video of Roger Stone and can't say to yourself, this guy hates America. This guy hates everything that this country was built upon. And yet you see him going on 4chan, going on truth social, whatever the hell he's on and just wrapping himself in the flag and saying that he's the most American guy there is and, and really riling up like 30 plus percent of this population in the U S and then they fall for this shtick. And it's just so infuriating. And that's why for you audio listeners, for you, YouTube watchers out there, please take, take what we're showing you and share this with your family and friends, because the more people that see the truth, maybe we could pull them out of this cult, you know? This was a moment that I literally was speechless and I had to replay several times just to hear it again. Say, Did I really hear that? And this was the moment when RNC, the Republican National Committee Chair, Rona McDaniel in video testimony said that John Eastman and Donald Trump collectively called her to ask her to arrange for the fake and fraudulent electors to meet and rehearse the process of casting fake votes. Before you play that clip, Brett, I want to repeat what I just said again. Trump and John Eastman, because this is one of those moments where Trump allowed himself to also be involved in not just throwing the John Eastman under the bus to be alone. Trump was on this call. A major part of the January 6th committee's efforts, a major part of the Department of Justice's 
criminal investigation, the Fulton County District Attorney's criminal investigation relates to the fake elector scheme whereby in states that Joe Biden won, individuals who were uh, colluding with Republican leadership appointed themselves outside of the certification process as electors, outside of the certification, and submitted a fake and phony elector slate to try to have that phony fraudulent slate certified by Vice President Pence. The plan The outrageous plan was all of the Republican leadership in the Senate and Congress, they were going to object, object, which they all did to try to drag this out. And then they wanted Pence to say, "Uh uh-huh, I've got here in front of me the objections. I guess there's a real doubt. Whoa, what is this that I now see? A new elector slate. And the new elector slate elects Trump as our president, emperor, king, I hereby declare that Trump is the president. That was, it sounds absurd the way I'm saying it. That was the plan. Brett, first play the clip, then I want your reaction and Jordan's reaction. Ronna McDaniel, chair of the Republican National Committee, testified before this committee that President Trump and his attorney, Dr. John Eastman, called her and asked her to arrange for the fake electors to meet and rehearse the process of casting their fake votes. When I received the call, um, again, I don't remember the exact date. Uh, it was it was from the White House switchboard um, and, and it was President Trump who had, had contacted me. And did President Trump have anyone else on the line with him? Um, he introduced me to a, a gentleman named uh, John Eastman. So I vaguely remember him mentioning that he was a professor. And then essentially he turned the call over to Mr. Eastman, who then proceeded to talk about the importance of the RNC helping the campaign gather these contingent electors in case any of the legal challenges um, that were ongoing, change the result of any of the dates. Brett, your reaction? I mean, my reaction is that you have a lot of people in the Republican Party who just have no, I mean, a lot of them have simply no redeeming qualities. But <laughs> what, what, what I'm getting at is you have a lot of people who are just so despicable and such horrible human beings. And I think they really buy their own bullshit. And I'm talking about, you know, the Lauren Boberts, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, and, and people like that, Louis Gohmert, perhaps. But then you have people who know better. You have people who are who are smarter, who know what they're doing, who are very manipulative and know what they're doing with their gaslighting. And Rona McDaniel is one of those people. And hmm. so she finds herself at the center of this scheme here, uh, being told to basically hold a rehearsal, a, a rehearsal run of the coup, uh, bringing in these fake electors. And then this is the same person who then goes on to try to diminish the work of the January 6th committee and say that nobody should care about this and protect Donald Trump at all costs. And throughout this whole process, yes, the act is horrible and disgusting and it really disturbs me and and all those details disturb me. But I think what disturbs me even more and really shows me how throughout history, horrible people have come to power and have stayed in power and have committed mass atrocities 
when I think about how that's happened, it's happened because of people like Ronan McDaniel, because mm-hmm. of people like Kevin McCarthy. And that's why I think they are just the worst of the worst of the worst. Jordy? Absolutely. My reaction is just... Jordy takes a sip of his wine and... Exhausted majority. Exhausted majority. Uh, notice how when these people testify too, maybe they're not lying when they give their testimony, but it's certainly lie adjacent. She does everything except own up for the fact of what she, what her role was and how complicit she was. Notice the words that she says. Essentially, uh, first time I got introduced to this person, someone I kind of just met. It's just so frustrating to what Brett and Ben, you pointed out earlier. It's just none of these people ever own up to their BS. And they just do such a disservice to this country. Speaking about premeditation, this was a particularly dastardly uh, and something that was uncovered that uh, I hadn't really connected the dots until I watched this hearing, which was that Trump, just a few days after being declared the loser, really out of vengeance, out of spite, signed orders to withdraw troops from Afghanistan and Somalia forthwith, without a plan, evidence that he knew his term was going to end. And he said basically words to the effect, yeah, we lost. We need to let this issue go with the next guy, meaning Biden. And Trump said, can you believe I lost to this effing guy? Trump, when he realized this is evidence that he knew that he had lost, but his reaction to losing was to use our troops as pawns and to create a crisis whereby our troops would be imperiled and that one of Biden's first acts that he would have to do is deal with the chaos and catastrophe of a chaotic uh, withdrawal without a plan. And when Biden came into power, Biden had to rearrange the dates, but actually ultimately effectuated the plan. But how sick can you be? Brett, do we have video footage of this that we can pull up? Although he publicly claimed that he had won the election, privately he admitted that Joe Biden would take over as president. Here's a few examples of that. So we're in the Oval and there's a discussion going on. And the president says, I think it's, it could have been Pompeo, but he says words to the effect of, yeah, we lost, we need, we need to let that issue go to the next guy, meaning President Biden. I remember maybe a week after the election was called, I popped into the Oval Mr. just to like, give the president the headlines and see how he was doing. And he was looking at the TV and he said, can you believe I lost to this effing guy? Mark raised it with me on the 18th. Cassidy and Hutchinson. So following that conversation where the motorcade ride driving back to the White House, and I said, like, does the president really think that he lost? And he said, you know, a lot of times he'll tell me that he lost, but he wants to keep fighting it. And he thinks that there might be enough to overturn the election, but... You know, he, he pretty much has acknowledged that, he, that he's lost. And then there was, of course, this uh, moment that was revealed where Trump told Meadows, I don't want people to know we lost, Mark. This is embarrassing. Figure it out. We need to figure it out. I don't want people to know that we lost. Play the clip. On December 11th, Trump's allies lost a lawsuit in the U.S. Supreme Court that he regarded as his last chance at success in the courts. A newly obtained Secret Service message from that day shows how angry President Trump was about the outcome. Quote, just FYI, POTUS is pissed. 
Breaking news, Supreme Court denied his lawsuit. He is livid now. Cassidy Hutchison, an aide to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, was present for that conversation and described it in this way. This is the day that the Supreme Court had rejected that case. Mr. Meadows and I were in the White House residence at a Christmas reception. And as we were walking back from the Christmas reception that evening, the president was walking out of the Oval Office, so we crossed paths in the Rose Garden Colonnade. The president was fired up about the Supreme Court decision. And so I was standing next to Meadow, Mr. Meadows, but I stepped back, so I was probably two, three feet caddy corner from her diagonal from him. You know, the president just raging about the decision and how it's wrong and why didn't we make more calls and you know, just this typical anger outburst at this decision. And the president said, he had, I put the, okay, so he had said something to the effect of, I don't want people to know we lost, Mark. This is embarrassing. Figure it out. We need to figure it out. I don't want people to know that we lost. Why don't we make more calls was his reaction as though he had a call line to the Supreme Court or to somebody else. Brett? That's what that's what I was going to ask you. What, what were your thoughts on that? Because I thought that was a little line that was kind of thrown in there that they actually didn't spend a ton of time on. But it was a line that when I heard, I was scratching my head and it sounded incredibly disturbing to me. And it also flies in the face of how the Supreme Court and how our our, our system of law and order is supposed to work. Donald Trump apparently believes that in order to change a court case, in order to change the ruling from the Supreme Court, it requires just making some more calls. So who was he planning to make the calls to? I just don't even understand what he's what he's getting at there. To be honest. So whether it's that. real or delusional, it's equally disturbing. And it's one of the issues always with authoritarians, right? Because people will tell the authoritarian always what they want to hear. Would it shock you if someone like a Mark Meadows or a Rudy Giuliani told Trump, hey, I've been speaking directly with this justice or that person such that Trump believes that to be the case? Now, that could actually be what took place. I wouldn't pass some of the MAGA extremists on the Supreme Court. But as you think about the problems authoritarian regimes generally run into, whether we're talking about Putin right now, whether we're talking about Mussolini and Hitler, it's that their generals are giving them always erroneous advice to feed their ego versus mm -hmm. the truth and the reality. So whether real or delusional, equally disturbing, Jordan. And you know what this is reminiscent of? This is what, this is what Trump thought he could do to Raffensperger in Georgia. Let me make a phone call. Let me find those 11,000 votes. This is, exact, this is exactly that. It's that same playbook. Occasionally, he slips. And he's usually good at throwing people under the bus for him so he can have plausible deniability. Jordy, that Brad Raffensperger conversation is an example where he just lost it where he normally does, but he directly injected himself. Similarly, the Rona McDaniel call where he did it with John Eastman about the fake electors as well. This example that we're just giving that Cassidy Hutchinson recalls as well is yet another touch point where he directly injects himself 
in. Want to talk also about some other secret services, secret service messages about the threat of right wing groups prior to the January 6th insurrection that they were alerted of. Quote, right wing groups responding from across the nation and establishing quick reaction forces in Virginia, read one message that the Secret Service received, quote, standing by at the ready should POTUS request assistance. Another Secret Service message read. And additionally, the January 6th committee displayed tips received by the Secret Service in the days leading up to January 6th regarding the plans of extremist groups, including the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. One tip indicates the Proud Boys plan to, quote, literally kill people. Another said the Proud Boys detailed their plans on multiple websites, including this website that was discussed a lot at this committee hearing today called Donald.Win. And this was another major moment that we should pause and reflect another moment in the hearing where I had to be like, did that really happen? And this is where evidence came out that Jason Miller bragged to Mark Meadows about firing up the quote base on extremist websites like the Donald.win. And just so you know, these were some of the comments on the page that Jason Miller sent to Meadows and was bragging about. Quote, the gallows don't require electricity. Patriots will be there armed to the teeth. And if the filthy commie maggots try to push their fraud through, there will be hell to pay. End quote, quote, our lawmakers in Congress can leave one of two ways in a body bag after rightfully certifying Trump the winner or after, or after rightfully certifying Trump the winner. Um, that's what Jason Miller was bragging about to Mark. Jubilant about it. And I, I think also, you know, you should pause and take a moment to think what that means about Donald Trump's overall strategy, also about how he runs things, about how he runs his campaigns, about how he spreads his disinformation. And this is why him being you know, quote unquote, deplatformed from websites like Twitter and Facebook was so important as well, because Donald Trump relies on the internet and these digital forms to inject his disinformation. And he, unlike really anybody else, is so focused on firing up these extremists. He's not trying to get those people in the middle of the country to like him. He's not trying, of course, he's not trying to get Democrats to like him. He is literally trying to rile up these extremist terrorist groups in order to go to bat and commit violence for him. It's a term that I've used on the show quite frequently, which I'm sure many of you have heard called stochastic terrorism, where you as Donald Trump, you are not the ones committing the acts of violence, but you are stoking that terrorism and you are stoking your base in order to go and commit those acts for you. Like the Roger Stone situation earlier that I said, Roger Stone after it, you know, he said, oh, it's fake. It was a deep fake. It's bullshit. When confronted about this during the hearing and they played this clip after Jason Miller took a kind of similar stance and said, oh, I didn't know that those were the comments. I, I didn't know anything about that. And it's just, you know, you, you have to know. Of course he knew. I'm sick of the lies. Above all, I'm so sick of the lies. Jordan, and Brett, this is exactly why. At these rallies, the, the sycophant rallies that we see Trump hold, he plays the QAnon music 
because that is his base. Those people are loud, they're obnoxious, and they're dangerous. That's why he plays that music. That's why at the debate, he goes, stand back and stand by, Proud Boys. He, those are, those are, they're not even dog whistles. They're, they're direct calls to action for his base. And it's, it's, it's scary. They're blowhorns. They're certainly not dog whistles, at least anymore. And the thing that's interesting about this, the Donald.win website, if I'm not mistaken, and, and somebody could correct me if I am, I believe the Donald.win began as the Donald Reddit subreddit until they were kicked off Reddit. And I remember in, in 2016, you know, when, when I had more time on my hands and wasn't exhausted all the time from all the work we do at, at Midas Touch, you know, I would go on Reddit and, and go and check out news and, and whatnot. And at that time, in that 2015-2016 era, the Donald on Reddit was one of the most popular, kind of energized, scary subreddits that there was. And ultimately, they got kicked off. And then they now have this separate website, which I don't know if it still exists or not, to be honest. It's not a website I peruse, uh, but it probably does in some capacity somewhere. But this, the Donald.wind, which is basically now just a safe haven for all these extremists to literally just plot out their, their extremism, these acts of terror, these violence, and then spread these extremist lies. The January 6th committee then proceeded with Representative Pete Aguilar, a member of the committee, who said the committee is and will continue to be investigating obstruction of its investigation and specifically related to pressure on individuals not to cooperate with the committee or testify, and that this will ultimately be detailed in the January 6th committee report, which will be forthcoming. In addition, the committee then displayed an email circulated by intelligence agencies, including the Secret Service, detailing communications of January 6th attendees. Quote, don't fuck around full kits, 180 rounds minimum for main rifle, another 50 for sidearm per person. And they showed those messages. In addition, they also showed and discussed the emergency operations at 119 uh, in the afternoon, alerting Trump about Trump supporters storming barricades. Trump was told right away what was taking place. He was informed very specifically of what was transpiring. But from then until 4 p.m., Trump stayed in the White House dining room and watched it happen and, in fact, enjoyed that it was happening. Before I talk about this next clip, which I thought was one of the most powerful moments, not just of this committee hearing, but of all the January 6th committee hearings, and also just makes it extra disgusting, those MAGA Republicans who were out there gaslighting, saying, where was Nancy Pelosi? It was Nancy Pelosi's fault January 6th, when you actually see that Nancy Pelosi was basically serving as the president of the United States on January 6th in the absence of Trump or any leadership coordinating military and National Guard to take action. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and others were talking with the Department of Defense, Department of Justice, local governors, Pence, and actually coordinating while Trump sat there or stood there in the White House enjoying and relishing the havoc that he created. But before playing this clip, Rhett, any other reflections, though, on obstruction or anything before talking about this next video? 
No, I just wanted to, you know, kind of flag that point that they were making right there, which is just another lie that Donald Trump and his allies have been repeating incessantly, which is that, oh, Trump didn't even know what was going on. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, all of a sudden, he's the only person in America who doesn't know what's happening on January 6th. So they made it a very clear point here to say that Donald Trump knew at and, and they pegged it at a very specific time of day that by 119 Donald Trump was alerted as to what his supporters were doing he was told right away and how he sat on his ass watching it enjoying it for hours and hours and hours and you know they they went and and we may be hitting this in in a little bit so I I don't want to get ahead of myself but of course the ever-changing stories with Donald Trump and the phone conversations that he had with people like Kevin McCarthy and whatnot, and the way that they then changed their stories based on what Donald Trump was saying to him. I mean, what we, these what they were exposing at all, really all of these hearings is just a such a massive conspiracy on such a grand scale that makes Watergate, frankly, look like child's play, like would not even register a blip on this current political climate. And here we have something that all the American people witnessed. We all saw it. And now we're just waiting for justice to happen. And that's why, you know, after this, I'm excited for them to ultimately release that report. And I hope they do bring on the criminal referrals that they seem to be implying that they will. You know, one of the things, Brett, we were talking about on our group chat today, I think our coverage of the January 6th hearings, our pre-coverage, post-coverage, I think not including even these podcast totals, close to 50 hours of discussion. Um, And I think each one of those 50 hours, which will always remain publicly available here on the Midas Touch YouTube channel, as well as the January 6th Committee YouTube channel and other places, is such a critical thing in our history to document, to reflect, to show the ultimate truth. And this is something that MAGA Republicans wanted to avoid at all costs. They wanted to rewrite history. They still want to rewrite history. Now, Brett, let's play that clip, though, that behind-the-scenes footage of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and others having those conversations with Department of Defense, Justice, local governors. And if you can, Brett, for our audio listeners, if you can just call out who's who's who when you play the clip. Will do. Yeah, I'll try to uh, keep track of who's speaking, what they're saying, if it's low, but listen up. And, you know, I, I was debating whether I should just play like a 30 second segment of this or if I should play like kind of all the Nancy Pelosi moments of uh, everything that she was doing. And I decided that it was important that you guys listening are able to see the full thing here because this was really one of the most impactful moments, not only of the day, but really of all these hearings. So here is Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer's and other uh, speaking to the Department of Defense, Department of Justice, local governors, Vice President Pence, uh, as the chaos was erupting on January 6th, they leapt into action to try to save the day that day. And here is that compelling, gripping, important footage. We have got to get finished the proceedings or else it would have all There has to be some way we can maintain the sense that people have that there's Nancy Pelosi. some security or some confidence uh, that government can function and that we can elect the President of the United States. Did we go back into session? We did go back into session, but now apparently everybody on the floor 
is putting on tear gas masks to prepare for a breach. Well, I'm trying to get more information. They're putting on their tear gas masks. She said, do you believe call this? I can't. Secretary of DOD. Chuck Schumer. We have some senators who are still in their hideaways. They need massive personnel now. Can you get the Maryland National Guard to come too? I have something to say, Mr. Secretary. Well, I'm going to call the, the mayor of Washington, D.C. right now and see what uh, other outreach she has to other police departments, as Leader Hoyer has mentioned. Hi, Governor. Uh, this is Nancy. Uh, Governor, I don't know if you have been approached about the uh, Virginia National Guard. The governor Mr. Hoyer of was connect, uh, speaking to uh, uh, Governor Hogan, uh, but I still think you probably need the okay of the... Uh, the federal government in order to come into another jurisdiction. Thank you. Oh my gosh. They're just breaking windows. They're doing all, all kinds of, it's really that somebody, they said somebody was shot. It's just, it's just horrendous and all at the instigation of the president of the United States. Okay. Thank you, governor. I appreciate what you're doing. And if you don't mind, I'd like to stay in touch. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Virginia Guard has been called in. Yeah, and I'm just talking to Governor Northam. And what he said is they sent 200 of state police and a unit of the National Guard. They're breaking windows and going in. Uh, uh, She's on the phone with Jeff Rosen, the acting attorney general. And all the rest of that. That's nothing. The, uh, the concern we have about uh, personal... Safety. Personal safety is it just transcends everything. But the fact is, on any given day, they're breaking the law in many different ways. And quite frankly, much of it at the instigation of the President of the United States. And now, uh, if, if he could, could at least uh, somebody. Yeah, why don't you get the President to tell them to leave the Capitol, Mr. Attorney General, in your law enforcement responsibility? A public statement they should all leave. This cannot be just we're waiting for so-and-so. We need them there now, whoever you got. Mitch you McConnell, Steve Scalise, and John Thune are all here now. Okay, so we have a little bit of time to make that decision. Andrews Air Force Base. All right. Other military bases. Thank you. We Thanks, need Paul. active Bye. duty National Guard. How soon in the future can you have the place evacuated, pulled, you know, cleaned out? Well, just pretend, just pretend for a moment it was the Pentagon or the White House or some other entity that was under siege. And let me say, you can logistically get people there as you make the plan. We're trying to figure out how we can get this job done today. We talked to Mitch about it earlier. Uh, he's not in the room right the now. The speaker's on the phone with Vice President Pence. Uh, and said, you know, we want to expedite this, and hopefully they could confine it to just one complaint, Arizona, and then we could vote, and, and it would be, you know, then just move forward with the rest of the state. The overriding wish is to do it at the Capitol. What we are being told very directly is it's going to take days for the Capitol to be okay again. We've gotten a very bad report about the condition of, of the um, house floor with defecation and all that kind of thing as well. I don't think that that's hard to clean up, but I do think it is 
uh, more from a security standpoint of making sure that everybody is out of the building and how long will that take? I just got off with the vice president. And I got off with the vice president-elect. So I'll tell okay. But what we left the conversation with, because he said he had the impression from Mitch that Mitch wants to get everybody back to do it there. Yes. I said that what we're getting a counterpoint that is we could take time uh, to clean up the poo-poo that they're making all over the, literally and figuratively in the Capitol, and that uh, it may take days to get back. Vice President Pence. Good news. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice President. Good news. So then as they get news that they reconvene and the members return to the Capitol and they are seen walking in. And and I want to thank everybody for sticking with us uh, through that clip and, and for listening to it. And I recommend, uh, you know, you all go and watch the visual uh, on our YouTube if you're listening to the audio because it's just so powerful. And, you know, we often forget that as Speaker of the House, in addition to your other responsibilities, you are third in line to power in this country. And seeing Nancy Pelosi and, you know, regardless of what you think of her in any other capacity, that's a leader right there. I mean, mm-hmm. what I saw there was such heroism. And you compare what we saw there, the heroism that Nancy Pelosi showed, that Schumer showed, that those others showed in taking action and trying to do everything they could to get help. Compare and contrast that with these tough guys in the Republican Party or these so-called tough guys, you know, compare and contrast it with Josh Hawley, who was seen running away from the scene like a coward. Mm-hmm. And you have these real leaders there who are actually stepping up to the plate. And that footage, by the way, I got to give credit to, I believe it's Nancy Pelosi. I believe it's her daughter, Alexandria, who or Alexandra, who, who recorded that footage. Um, I'm sure at the time when she was recording, had no idea uh, what that day was going to become. Thought it was going to probably be a celebratory uh, day for our democracy, witnessing the peaceful transfer of power. And she ended up uh, you know, capturing all that just incredibly uh, gripping, disturbing, but also, you know, inspiring, you know, footage um, that really shows how exactly how our democracy was truly at threat that day and how our leaders at the highest levels understood that. And in addition to that, I'll just say one thing. I know I'm occupying a lot, a lot of time with the brothers here, but now picture if the person in that position was not Nancy Pelosi, but picture if the person in that position was Kevin McCarthy. Because that's what happens if Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans take control of Congress. It's so dangerous for our country. And we are so lucky, honestly, that we were in the situation that we were in with Nancy Pelosi at the helm there. Jordy. So incredibly tragic. You know, you just have a really a mixed bag of emotions when you watch that video. Because you can't look at that and not understand just the, the travesty, what's happening that day. These are our elected officials. They're just, they're politicians. They're going there, doing their job to, to help with the peaceful transition of power. And then they get stormed upon from an 
angry insurrectionist mob by the president of the United States. If this thing was a movie, you wouldn't believe the damn script. But in the travesty and in, in, in the tragedy of that video, to Brett's point, there's heroism. You see Pelosi, you see Schumer, you see them stepping up. And that's why you elect competent leaders. That's why there are elections in this country. Let the people vote for folks who are going to lead in a time when we need leaders to lead. And that's exactly what Pelosi and Schumer did in that clip. And then just one last thing before I toss it back to you, Ben. It's, Brett, to your point, incredibly wild that none of this footage leaked prior to today. You know, if this, was, if this video was in the hands of any other uh, person, especially a Republican, I mean, there's no way these aides wouldn't have allowed this footage to get out there in some capacity. So the fact that they've been able to hold on to this footage, especially when Pelosi was getting reamed upon by Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Boberts and all these lunatics from the right about how she didn't, like, where was Pelosi that day? Well, she was leading and she knew she was leading and she knew there was footage of her leading, but she was going to hold on to this footage with her team and present it with the committee because the committee's doing a flawless job and that footage is so fucking awesome. Frankly, Jordan. I wish that they get released it sooner, to be honest, uh, because of that, Jordy, like just the lies that have been coming from the Republicans about Pelosi specifically. I mean, we saw it and we played it when we did our recap of the Trump rally the other day. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene getting up there saying Nancy Pelosi is to blame for January 6th. Then you have that line of attack being used constantly by people. While meanwhile, while Donald Trump was sitting in his ass throwing ketchup at the wall, watching what was going on on TV, refusing to do every anything. And while Josh Hawley was running away like a coward, you have what's actually going on at the time with Pelosi there taking charge taking action. And I cannot commend her enough. And I also, I don't even know if the brothers know that I have this, but I have a new clip that just dropped uh, from Nancy Pelosi uh, from this footage that was not played uh, during the hearings today, uh, where Speaker Pelosi uh, was responding to the concept of Donald Trump marching to the Capitol on January 6th. And she said, quote, I hope he comes. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to jail and I'm going to be happy. Let me play. Is there a video of that? Yeah, let me play this clip. Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment, he is not coming, but that could change. Oh, he comes. I'm going to punch him out. This oh, is my mom. I'm <laughs> waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. That's incredible. <laughs> this is literally, by the way, first time I watched it too. This is, you're getting the fresh reactions of all, of all of us on that one. That's that's why we do it live. Um, I, you mentioned uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Boebert as people who were trying to blame Nancy Pelosi. Brett, you mentioned a name in particular there, the MAGA Republican Steve Scalise, who if this current MAGA group gets into power, he's going to have a top position. And on January 6th, you saw the footage as Nancy Pelosi was taking action he was kind of sheepishly right behind her, like not doing anything, but just kind of watching her actually do stuff and get things done. So he was literally right there and saw it. Then on June 9th, 2022, so over this past summer, he was asked about Nancy Pelosi. And let's just play the clip of what he said, gaslighting everybody in the most offensive way. Play this clip. And I think this clip also brings back some of the footage that we just saw to to make that contrast as to what Scalise was uh, saying. 
Was Speaker Pelosi involved in the decision to delay National Guard assistance on January 6th? Those are serious and real questions that this committee committee refuses to even ask. Thank you, Jim. And Jim Banks just raised some very serious questions that should be answered by the January 6th commission, but they're not. And they're not for a very specific reason, and that's because Nancy Pelosi doesn't want those questions to be answered. In fact, she took the unprecedented step of kicking Jim Banks and Jim Jordan off of the January 6th committee because they were going to ask those questions. This is from June 2022. The answers to. This cannot be just we're waiting for so-and-so. We need the Now we're back to the footage that we watched earlier. You have, okay. you also have troops. This is Steny Hoyer. Troops. Okay, so we have a Fort little bit of time to make that. And we don't need to watch that again. But, but you know, that was the rhetoric that they were spewing in June of 2022 when they were literally, Steve Scalise was literally in the huddle with <sighs> Nancy Pelosi on that day, watching her try to sound the alarm, watching her try to call every agency imaginable to get people to help the Capitol. It's really the most despicable thing because it's not even just a lack of leadership. I mean, it's pure evil. It's pure lies. And it just goes to show you there is no depth to their depravity. They will literally lie about anything to pursue their agenda. And we know it just when you catch them in such offensive ways and so obvious ways, you're like, let's be clear. Like, and you know, I try to keep this a PG, you know, show, but I'm like with Nancy Pelosi. But about fuck it, Ben. No, I mean, like, that's like real. That's just, I, I won't even, these are just terrible, terrible, terrible. I'm going to still, still keep it. I'm, I, I'm PG Ben. I'm going to still try to keep PG it. PG Ben. Like, I love that's that. Some, that's some strain right there. And we, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was, that, 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 that was impressed. Very impressed. impressed. And then one of the other things that uh, Congressman Raskin mentioned when he spoke was uh, reiterating uh, what uh, Trump had told Kevin McCarthy. Well, Kevin, I guess the people, the insurrectionists are just more concerned about the election than you are, Kevin. Um, And we had heard that from prior uh, hearings. I mean, again, Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, complete, complete cowards. Um, Following that, Liz Cheney discussed that they have sufficient information to consider criminal referrals. Let's play that clip. Mr. Chairman, our committee now has sufficient information to answer many of the critical questions posed by Congress at the outset. We have sufficient information to consider criminal referrals for multiple individuals and to recommend a range of legislative proposals to guard against another January 6th. But a key task remains. We must seek the testimony under oath of January 6th central player. And that's when the committee takes the all important vote to subpoena Donald Trump the central player in this, who exercised premeditated intent. Let's play the clip when the committee voted to subpoena Donald Trump. General Lady yields back. If there's no further debate, the question is on agreeing to the resolution. Those in favor will say aye. 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 Those opposed is no. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it. Mr. Chairman, I request a recorded vote. A recorded vote is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Ms. Cheney? Aye. Ms. Cheney? Aye. Ms. Lofgren? Aye. Ms. Lofgren? Aye. Mr. Schiff? Aye. Mr. Schiff? Aye. Mr. Aguilar? 
Aye. Mr. Aguilar, aye. Mrs. Murphy? Aye. Mrs. Murphy, aye. Mr. Raskin? Aye. Mr. Raskin, aye. Mrs. Luria? Aye. Mrs. Luria, aye. Mr. Kinzinger? Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Kinzinger, aye. Mr. Chairman? Aye. Mr. Chairman, aye. The clerk will report the vote. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero noes. The resolution is agreed to. Without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Powerful vote to conclude the hearing, a nine to zero vote. And ironically, that nine zero vote occurred at the same time the Supreme Court made a decision denying Donald Trump's application to vacate the stay uh, that the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals issued on the Department of Justice motion for partial stay returning those classified records. We got to talk about that uh, decision by the Supreme Court in that terse one sentence denial. Justice Clarence Thomas referred uh, the emergency order because he is the justice that oversees the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals emergency orders. Clarence Thomas kind of punted it directed it to go to the rest of the Supreme Court to make a decision. The Supreme Court rejected it summarily, um, apparently unanimously, although it doesn't specifically say unanimously. It just says the Supreme Court uh, denies it. Um, Brett, any final comments that you want to make, though, about the January 6th before we talk about this Supreme Court order? No, you know, we don't know if there's going to be more hearings. A lot of people were implying that this could be the last one. I, I truthfully don't know. Um, but I thought that was a, a powerful way to end this hearing there by subpoenaing Donald Trump. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it had to be done just in general, you know, whether it has any real impact at the end of the day or not. This is something that certainly had to be done. And as I said earlier, and as the reason why I wanted to plant that seed in, in the head of our listeners here is throughout what they were planning, what they were, uh, what they were seeding throughout this entire thing was basically to tell the American people that criminal referrals are coming. And at the end, Liz Cheney there says it outright. And she says, it's not only going to be one criminal referral that's coming, but mm. multiple people are going to be referred to the Department of Justice for crimes. And so I think that is the thing to look for as a reminder. And this is something that might as touch listeners know, because we make it a point to tell you this from the beginning has always been an investigative committee. This is about research. This is about delivering the American people the answers that they need to know about what happened on January 6th. And I think if you judge it on that basis and, and the professionalism by which they've conducted themselves, uh, the footage they've shown and the presentation that they put on both at prime time and during the day, I think that these hearings were an incredible success um, mm -hmm. and they've really wrapped up what happened on January 6th and the events preceding them and the events following them all at the same time. I thought it, I, I just think it's so important and I look forward to the January 6th committee's final report and the criminal referrals that they make and the Department of Justice's action, of course, to act on those referrals and stuff. You know, they don't have to wait for the referrals, stuff beyond those referrals as well. And I just want to say this really quickly, you know, that was a tough watch. That was a tough recap, but it was an important recap and they did such a phenomenal job. I just refuse to let the right, let these MAGA Republicans take my optimism, take my belief in, in democracy away from me. I, I'm not going to give them that. I'm not going to allow that to them. 
So that's why you always have to look for the silver linings and everything. And that nine to zero vote at the end was amazing. Seeing the leadership from Pelosi and Schumer was amazing. These are all positive things that you have to take out from all the darkness, that there is light in these moments. And it's important to remind yourself that because if you don't, you could fall down a rabbit hole real quick and start to be a huge Debbie Downer. And nobody wants that right now, not heading into these midterms. Let's talk about the Supreme Court uh, ruling today at the same time these uh, January 6th committee hearing uh, was taking place. But first, no matter where you are in the world, we'll get there in a second, Brett, but no matter where you are in the <laughs> world, if you want to support and grow this independent media network, we are not funded by any outside investors at all. We are unapologetically pro-democracy and 100% independent. And no matter where you are in the world, I always get asked, what can I do to help grow this network? Well, go check out our Patreon website at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. There are a number of exclusive membership packages, including you could become an honorary producer of the Midas Touch podcast and your name will appear at the end of the Midas Touch podcast. Oh, or even right now, um, you can get postcards. Growing. You can get postcards for me and my brothers, exclusive podcast. Don't worry for anyone who gets the content for free. We're not going anywhere. You're still getting the YouTube content. You're still getting the other podcasts. But if you want to help grow this independent media company and take a part of that growth, one of the ways you can do it is by going to patreon.com slash minus touch. Also, make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel or to wherever you get this podcast on audio. And for our YouTube listeners, subscribe on audio, please, right now. Well, not right now. Wait till this podcast is over. Then go and subscribe wherever you get audio podcast and subscribe there as well. It helps with the algorithm and leave a five-star review, please. And give a little description, please. You know, give us, give us a little love from time to time. I love reading your reviews. I appreciate that so much. And also, if you want to get the best unapologetically pro-democracy merch, the official Midas gear is at store.com. MidasTouch.com, store.midastouch.com. And today you got to get the Convict or Convict 45 shirts. I mean, in honor of everything that's going on, Convict, Convict 45, and our person, woman, man, camera, prison t shirt. And you could also get our Rovember <laughs> shirts, which are a bestseller. Row, row, row your vote shirts. All that is at store.midastouch.com. Let's go now pull up, Brett, the Supreme Court order. It's those one sentence uh, denying. Literally fits, fits in a tweet, as, as uh, the esteemed Michael Popak of Legal AF pointed out, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> thing to note. Fits Turn. in a tweet. Terse to the point, denying Donald Trump tries to get emergency relief. The emergency relief Trump wanted the Supreme Court was to say, give those classified records back to the special master. The special master had already said, I don't want, I don't want the records. But Trump wanted the special master to have the records so that Trump could actually see the records for himself. The Department of Justice pointed out that Trump's emergency application didn't even address what the elements were if he wanted to get the relief. You have to explain what irreparable harm would be caused to you. You have to show that the Supreme Court would be likely to grant certiorari or actually 
actually hear full oral argument. He didn't even address those. He tried to argue that the 11th Circuit didn't have appellate jurisdiction by arguing the special master order was actually not an injunction. And the Department of Justice pointed out, no matter how you cut it, whether it's pendant jurisdiction, whether you view it as an injunction, whether you view it as a collateral order, the 11th Circuit rightfully had jurisdiction. And Donald Trump, the 11th Circuit, knows a little bit more than you do. And the Supreme Court was just like, get this out of here. And look, it was good news because it was in front of Clarence Thomas. I did say on all my updates, I'm like, look, as as bad as Clarence Thomas decisions are, this 11th Circuit decision that he's confronted with, two Trump appointees, one Obama appointee, it was a per curiam decision when they ruled against Judge Eileen Cannon in the first place. I was like, if Clarence Thomas overrules these people, he's going to be overruling his buddies on the 11th Circuit, which he tends to agree with them on issues. And for what Trump was claiming that the 11th Circuit doesn't have appellate jurisdiction, you'd basically be having Clarence Thomas just like destroy the 11th Circuit, which he wasn't going to do. That's why I was so confident, even with Clarence Thomas, that he was not going to make that ruling. And don't forget what else is happening. The Department of Justice has filed their overall appeal. The 11th Circuit granted that on an expedited basis, challenging Judge Eileen Cannon's very assertion of equitable jurisdiction over the remaining 11,000 documents. Guess what? I guarantee you the Department of Justice is going to win. I'll tell you why. Because the exact same analysis with those 100 classified records, whether uh, Judge Eileen Cannon could have asserted equitable jurisdiction there, which she couldn't, is literally verbatim the same exact analysis over the 11,000 other documents. There was never a showing that the Department of Justice engaged in a callous disregard of Donald Trump's rights before even getting to the other elements of irreparable harm and a need for the documents. They're not his documents. He doesn't have irreparable harm. He can't, nor is he asserting that. So the Department of Justice clearly is going to win here. How about that analysis of those complicated legal issues in three freaking minutes? You really can't. Come on. I love it. And I think you're I think you're batting a thousand here, too, with the predictions and, and the analysis. It's it's pretty they're impressive. on. No Shrebeni no over here. I will, yeah, I will inevitably get some of these wrong. But uh, you know, when you when when you look at some of the stuff that's being argued, some of it, fortunately, practicing in these areas is fairly obvious. And Trump's lawyers are just such horse crap. Again, not cursing myself, no cursing. Um, so PG Ben, PG Ben. It's worth noting also that not a single appellate judge, not not a single, no one else has agreed with Judge Eileen Cannon's rulings here. No, no, oh, no. She's about to get. I mean, she's already been humiliated. And you can be like, well, she doesn't care about being humiliated. <laughs> She does because what the 11th Circuit's about to do to her is going to like just wait <laughs> to what happens in December. She literally jumped into like, I'm just trying to, uh, I'm just like trying to give a good analogy. Like she literally <laughs> co-opted a case where she didn't belong. Like it's the, it's literally like the craziest legal thing. She's like, I'm going to assert my equitable jurisdiction here. What are you doing? You have no right to even be involved in this. Like you've upended our entire criminal investigatory process. Like we're supposed to happen is the magistrate judge issues. Like this is the most basic shit. I curse. Damn it. Oh, oh. <laughs> I couldn't help PG, PG 13, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most basic thing in the world. The magistrate judge finds probable cause. They issue 
issue a search warrant. If you are eventually charged with a crime, you could file a suppression motion. You could file a return of property motion if you're charged with a crime. But you can't say, judge, I need you to jump in some other judge into the investigatory and stop the DOJ from engaging in an investigation. Like it is the most insane and absurd thing that Cannon did. And, you know, she's about to get humiliated and embarrassed more. Anyway, let's move on. Um, Attorney General Tish James, though, files while all this is going on too what what a day what a day day. (laughs) he files a motion for the majority injunction in connection with the 250 million dollar fraud lawsuit that the new york ag's office brought on september 21 and she said look we have evidence that trump is still engaged in fraud still engaged in criminal conduct and this was the funniest part to me judge (laughs) appoint a special (laughs) judge appoint a special (laughs) monitor an independent third party this is actually where you would do it not in the case where trump's making fake claims of executive privilege this is actually where you would appoint an independent monitor to make sure that trump doesn't keep continuing to file false financial documents and to ensure that he's not sending his assets from Trump Organization 1 to the new company he created called Trump Organization 2, which he created on September 21. That's not he a joke. He literally created a company <laughs> called Trump Company 2, um, you know, trying to uh, the, the uh, attorney general believes to basically move assets there. So if Trump Org One gets shut down, but he's so ridiculously arrogant and <laughs> he calls it Trump Org Two. You know, I mean that's that's insane. And then uh, Alina Haba's like, we would we're cooperating. We're we would never engage in transferring of assets inappropriately. Yes, you absolutely would, Alina Haba. You absolutely would. Like the worst lawyer ever. I mean, she's literally like the worst lawyer in America. Like honestly. <laughs> There's some quality about her that's even worse than uh, Jenna Ellis getting farted on, in my opinion. Like, <laughs> yeah, because brutal. Because Jenna Ellis never, like Jenna Ellis, never had any shred of talent to begin with. Like, so I almost view it very differently. Like Alina Haba has some game, but the fact that her game has been utterly inverted into the worst game to me just like extra destroys it when I like, I'm like, oh, you're way worse of a lawyer. Like Jenna Ellis is just not bright. Like you are (laughs) evil and like you have, there's like an evilness combined with just losing, but you're also really trying. And that kind of combination to me is why Alina Habba is the worst lawyer. Brett, Jordy. I love the analysis on why Alina Habba is, is, is the worst lawyer. All right. And Trump Org 2, dude. It's like it's like a four-year-old. I don't know what to do. I'll call it Trump 2, number two. Yeah, I'm certain. <laughs> and then earlier this week, Donald Trump was ordered by a federal judge in the Southern District of New York, Judge Kaplan, to sit for deposition next week in the E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit that's going to be on October 19th. And so what does Trump do after the order? He literally repeats the defamatory accusations on Truth Social. His whole claim within the Southern District of New York is that the prior statements were made in the course and scope of being the president, and therefore there should be immunity because the federal government hasn't waived sovereign immunity relating to defamation claims. And if the federal government can substitute in the United States instead of Trump, that lawsuit gets entirely dismissed by saying it's within the course and scope. So he spends two years making that argument. And then what does he do when he's ordered? 
ordered to sit for defamation while that other issue is still pending on appeal. He literally does it outside the course and scope of the president. So no matter what, you know, I have no doubt that E. Jean Carroll is going to now sue him for this. And even if now the Second Circuit, which could have actually reversed the district court's order and found that the U.S. was an appropriate party to substitute in, it's not even going to matter because now she's just going to sue him because clearly he's not the president anymore. So he can't even claim the immunity that he fought for two years for. And he just, I'm not going to repeat it, but he said the same disgusting things about her in this statement Mm -hmm. that I won't even go into. But also, E. Jean Carroll will also have a cause of action actually for the underlying sexual assault because New York is passing a law called the Adult Survivors Act, which will revive the statute of limitations for adult survivors that have lapsed prior to the passage of this law. They will have a one-year window for any adult who was sexually assaulted in New York. They did one for children as well. So that's why Children have been taking, you know, have been addressed by the legislation. Now, adults, if you predate the passage of the law and you were sexually assaulted, you have one year uh, to file, and that's going to be in November. So she will also sue him for the underlying sexual assault as well. So all of those things lining up, that is the wheels of justice for you folks. You got the overview of what took place at the January 6th committee. You got the Supreme Court rejecting and denying Donald Trump's application to vacate the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals order. You have New York Attorney General Tish James filing a motion for a preliminary injunction. And you have Donald Trump being ordered by a federal judge to sit for deposition next week in the E. Jean Carroll case. Unbelievable wow. job, Ben. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of legal trouble for, for Donald Trump over here. A lot of legal trouble. A lot of legal bills that he's not going to pay are going to be stacked quite high. And I'll just hit uh, very briefly. Um, and uh, I, I just want to talk very briefly about Alex Jones for a second. We don't have to get into the weeds on, on everything that happened there uh, because I know you guys discussed it on this week's Legal AF. I know, I know Popak and, and Karen discussed it on Legal AF. So listen to Legal AF if you want a full breakdown of of the Alex Jones verdict. Um, but what I want to talk about are is the political nature of it and also just the human nature of it quickly. And we're going to have a video coming out uh, tomorrow morning on the Midas Touch YouTube channel that's going to break this down in, in a bit further detail. But I was just so disturbed by the Republican response to the Alex Jones verdict, which was simply to double and triple and quadruple down on this bad behavior. And I think this just brings it full circle because we're speaking about the Republican lies and the fact that they're willing to lie and gaslight about every single thing. And this is the epitome of that by defending the world's most horrific person imaginable. You have Charlie Kirk after the verdict is read saying this isn't about calculating real damages from Alex Jones. This is about sending a message. If you upset the regime, they will destroy you completely and utterly forever. And they continuously use that phrasing to talk about the actual justice system that we have here in America and the Biden administration, which does everything by the book. They refer to them as the the uh, regime. Uh, Charlie Kirk also said that if Alex Jones owes a billion dollars for saying mean things on his show, and this is something they do also, they tried to take something that's horrific, which in this case, it's Alex Jones torturing, tormenting, terrorizing the families of Sandy Hook victims. In one case, 
at least one case, driving somebody to suicide over it, forcing these families to move due to the threats that they are receiving. And you have Charlie Kirk and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I'll read in a second, saying, oh, he was just saying mean things. Uh, they say, uh, Charlie Kirk goes, if CNN, MSNBC were all held to the same standards uh, that for pressuring to inject their kids, saying it would prevent transmission to grandma, using this kind of false equivalency here to compare vaccine vaccinations and the push for people to get vaccinated to Alex Jones tormenting and terrorizing people. I mean, it's just absolutely just disgraceful full stop. The last one I'll, I'll touch on is, is Marjorie Taylor Greene saying, no matter what you think of Alex Jones, all he did was speak words. He was not the one who pulled the trigger. Words, words wrong. And did he apologize? Yes. That's what freedom of speech is. Freedom to speak words. Political persecution must end. Once again, this is not political persecution in any way. This is a summary judgment made against Alex Jones, who did not even go to defend himself whatsoever on any of these issues and was given this default judgment to the tune of almost a billion dollars. And we just have all these Republican politicians who every step of the way have defended Alex Jones, have had Alex Jones at their conferences. He was at the Turning Point USA event not too long ago. Uh, this is somebody who Trump credited for helping him to win the presidency. Trump called them an amazing person. This is why I like to say, you know, and it was something we spoke about on our coverage of the hearing earlier today. And David Bender, one of our commentator, commentators actually said this. He said, it's not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. And mm -hmm. that's how I view about really everything that we fight for here at, at Midas Touch. When we came into this, we didn't come into any of this as political people by, by any means. We just saw that there was wrongs in the world and we wanted to right them. And those forces in the world that are committing these atrocities and are committing these wrongs try to lie to you and gaslight you into believing that they are somehow the good guys and that Alex Jones is the good guy and that anyone going against him is going against free speech and is going against the United States. But I'm sorry, I'm not going to let them hold that mantle of patriotism anymore. We're taking back the flag. We're taking back what it means to be an American here. Those people are not patriots. Those people are criminals. They're disgusting. And it's up to all of us to speak out and let our neighbors know, let our friends know just how despicable these people are and what we're truly fighting for. Because we cannot let those people who defend Alex Jones. We cannot let those people who defend the January 6th insurrection and lie about it. We cannot let those people take power. And we have a few weeks till the midterms. So we all need to be hitting the ground and getting involved. Jordy, I'll give you the closing words here. But before doing that, I want to remind everyone to check out our Patreon website at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. We are not funded by any outside investors wherever you are in the world. If you want to help grow this independent media network, and if you like our coverage of the January 6th hearings, which by the way, I was looking at some of the major media entities, like ones that have been around for like, 70 years, 80 years, um, and are funded by billions of dollars every year. And we were significantly leading um, with respect to our coverage and viewership and certainly engagement. So you can help grow this, patreon.com slash Midas Touch. And of course, now is the time to get your pro-democracy gear at store.midastouch.com. If you don't have your Convict or Convict 45 shirts yet, what are you doing? Or also the person, woman, man, camera, prison. Let's wear it with 
pride as we push for justice. And of course, the Dank Brandon sticker. <laughs> Everybody loves Dank Brandon sticker. You could literally put anything up here, Brett, and I'm just going to have to read it. Rovember. Row, row, row. I'm, I'm going to have to test this out, Ron Burgundy style on you next week. The famous Rovember shirts. <laughs> row, row your vote shirts. And here's what I want to say too. Normally, imitation is the best form of flattery. Um, uh, but not when you don't make it union made or made in the United States of America. So one of the things I pride ourselves with our merch is that it's 100% union made. It's 100% made in America. It's why it costs slightly more, but that's what we do here. We support unions. We support our country and everything at store.midastouch.com is made in America and made by unions. And make sure you subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your audio podcasts. Make sure you leave a five-star review and Midas Mighty Community, make sure no matter what, no matter what, if you don't want to do all those other things, okay, but here's what I need you to do. This is an active community. The Midas Touch pro-democracy community depends on you to spread the word of unapologetically pro-democracy, uplifting, positive content. We uplift each other in the Midas Touch community. We help out members of the Midas Mighty. We help each other through these times, and we want to show that contrary to the hate that is spewed from the MAGA movement, the hate that is spewed from these right-wing communities, there's not just an intelligent community, there's not just a rational community, there's not just an unapologetically pro-democracy community, but there is a compassionate community. There is a community of people who just want stability over dangerous stupidity, who want to be nice to each other and empower each other and really work from the heart. That is what I love about the Midas Touch community. You are all the secret ingredients to this. When I wake up in the morning and I'm doing all my legal analysis and alerts and all of the videos and everything that I got going on, you give me the strength to be able to continue to do this support all of the Midas Touch member, you know, community members as well, and let's keep building this community together. Share, share, share these videos. Share them with anybody, friends, colleagues, roommates, family, whoever. Share the videos. Jordy, take it away. Real quick, before I sign us out, I have to give a huge shout out to my wife and our friend Izzy. They helped me pull my whole studio together. I call it my studio; it's just the room where I live, and they. Put all this up and they really pulled it together i actually think it led to me to having like a really good show tonight i'm just going to give myself props for how well i performed tonight it was either the room or the wine i'm not really 100 sure but thank you all for watching this is amazing shout out to the midas mighty at midas touch we are unapologetically pro-democracy and we demand justice and accountability that's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.